you and say good morning to as many of you as I could because it makes me feel comfortable. I've already had that relationship built with a few of you to say good morning, hello, and so forth. I'm glad that the uh, pastor allowed me in the pulpit again. Oh, wait, maybe that came out wrong. I'm glad that he asked me to be in the pulpit again this morning. And uh, I was looking at uh, the last time that I brought a message to this congregation, and it's, uh, it's been a while. It's been uh, August 5th of 2018. And so I haven't been in the pulpit uh, for quite some time. And I'm praying that even though that I'm a little nervous this morning, that God will come through and shine through. And within my weakness, uh, he will be strong. This morning's message is titled, Praying for Your Prodigal. There's a lot of us who have prodigals in our lives. And it's loosely based on the story out of Luke 15, the prodigal son. Even though we're only referencing that as a summary in the beginning of the message, it talks about the son in Luke 15 who basically told his father, I hope you die so I can have what's mine. And he's father gives him his portion, which in those times was about a third as the younger son, and he takes off, and if you know the story, you know what happens. He squanders it. He comes to that low place in his life, and as prodigals, many people have to. They come to that lowest place before they realize and come to their senses. And then we know in the story, he comes back to the father. What's the father doing? He's waiting. He's standing there waiting for his son to come up the road. That's what I want to key in on. What was the father doing? Do you think he was just going about the daily chores of life, going about the daily chores of the farm or the business or whatever he was into? I believe he was praying. And if he had a mother, I believe that he was praying, your mother was praying as well. And so today as we talk about that, I want to talk about praying for your prodigals. And how do we do that? Let's take a moment and ask the Lord to, to bless our time. Father, we are grateful and thankful, Lord, that uh, you are here, that it is your power, it is your strength. It's not my own, for Lord, you know within me is weakness. We pray, Father, for that strength to bring forth this message as only you can. Through your word, Lord, we pray that there is a, an anointing upon your word to receive it, to understand it, and to put it into practice. We thank you, Father, and I'm praying for one thing, victory, Lord, in every life, in every life that's here, in every life that's online watching. I pray for victory in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm doing something I've never done before. I thought, hey, if Kevin can bring his laptop and try it, I'm going to try it, but I don't have quite the faith that Kevin has. I still have the message over there in a book, just in case. So if something happens, and so anyway, number one on your outline, the problem is always on the inside. It's always inside. How quickly we can fall, how far we can go, and how easy it is to deceive ourselves and others those stinging words we speak in an inner battle that we all feel from time to time, a battle we sometimes sing about in familiar words, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. 
I know many of you have prodigals. You have loved ones who have strayed far from the Lord. Some grew up in the church. Some of them were raised to love Jesus. Some of them at one time could quote numerous Bible scriptures. Some were leaders in the youth group. Some were on mission trips. A godly mother prays for her wayward son. A wife prays for her husband. Husband prays for his wife. A young man or young woman prays fervently for deliverance of a family member or a friend. A father prays for a stray daughter. And at times, many feel just like the psalmist in Psalms 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord? Why do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Today, a loved one or a friend may be far from God. And quite honestly, you don't know what to do. The problem is always inside. Some of them are doing things that would shock us. And we begin to think about those prodigal friends, parents, sons, and daughters. Remember one key point. No matter what you think about your friends and how they're living, no matter how angry you may be at the choices they've made, the root problem is never shown on the outside. The problem is always on the inside. We may be in church every Sunday smiling, singing, and going through the motions, but on the inside, we're crying in our hearts. It's a letter from a parent that says, I have a daughter I don't believe saved. I pray for her oft times, and oftentimes I can't. I suppose I'm angry she isn't responding, and I feel incapable of helping her. What can I pray for on a daily basis so that she will come to Christ? And at times I feel sorrow, thinking she might never come back to God. I believe this parent speaks for many mothers and fathers everywhere who pray for their prodigal children, often for years with seemingly no results. I don't doubt that praying parents must at some point feel like giving up. And it must be hard not to get angry when you see your children repeatedly making bad choices and showing no interest in the things of God. What do you do then? How do you keep believing for your own prodigal son or prodigal daughter? Now, when I use that word prodigal, I'm referring to anyone who's drifted away. I'll reference sons and daughters, friends and family throughout the message, but what I mean is the prodigal. This person has totally rejected the Christian heritage. It could refer to a college student who simply stops going to church or to a man that thinks he doesn't need religion or to someone who becomes an atheist. A prodigal can be someone who gets so busy in their career that they have no time for God. Your Bible study becomes non-existent. Your prayer life simply praying for your food. The answer only God knows because only he can read the heart, right? We see inside, outside, and, and to us, it may be easy to conclude that the person we thought we knew so well was never really saved in the first place. But our knowledge is limited. We cannot judge. While the prodigal may appear to have totally rejected his background, he may give all appearances of being lost. Only God knows the heart. Only God knows for certain. In thinking about hard questions, it's crucial that we start in the right place. 
Nowhere is this more important than when we pray for our prodigal sons and our prodigal daughters. Because we have so much invested in them. We may be tempted to give up because the pain of praying when nothing seems to be happening finally becomes overwhelming, becomes hard. Maybe breaking our hearts and we tried our hardest to trust the Lord, believe that He alone can rescue them. We're looking for words of wisdom, encouragement on how we can be intercessors in their life. A prodigal can be a pastor who ran off with a woman in his church, now has rejected his family and his faith. It might refer to a brother who used to be a church leader who now refuses to go to church at all. It could refer to a former best friend who now lives open hostility towards God. You may have learned about Jesus from someone who now rejects the very faith they once taught you. Very often, prodigals start out as people who have been deeply hurt by the circumstances of life, feel abandoned and or cheated or mistreated by God. A young man prays fervently for deliverance and from an overpowering temptation, but the struggle never seems to end. The more he prays, the worse the temptation becomes. We cry out as the psalmist, why, Lord? Why are you standing so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? There are many Christian people who have prayed for things, but the end result is the same. In their frustration and despair, they've cried out to God, do you want me to become an atheist as well? Some of them have, most haven't, but their pain turns them into prodigals. At some point, we come face to face with the crucial importance of good theology. We need to be reminded that an astounding miracle takes place in the heart of our faith. We believe something absolutely incredible that a man who was dead came back to life on the third day. We believe that God raised him from the dead. Now, if God could do that for his son, indeed, God has the power to raise the dead. Who are we to question God's power to change the hardest of hearts? What are the chances that a man who'd been tortured, crucified, buried, raised from the dead, the odds would seem to be against it. You can't start with what your eyes see or what you can figure out. And you can't trust your feelings in something like this because your emotions play tricks on you. We must therefore start with God, not with the person who is the prodigal. It is, if it's God alone who can raise the dead, then our focus must be on God alone. And secondly, this morning, God alone knows our prodigal's hearts. Turn with me in the book of Psalms, Psalms 139. We're only going to read the first four verses this morning. I suggest that after lunch today, go home, take just a few minutes to read through these verses in Psalm 139. And if you can, read them to someone you know. Read them aloud and listen to the heart of God and what he's saying about the heart of the prodigal. Verse 1 starts, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You stretch out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And it goes on to speak that same thought process to the end of the chapter. We look at Proverbs, the fourth chapter, just a few short pages ahead of Psalms. And looking at verse 20, we see that he says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are to those who find them in healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, and from it flow the springs of life. Put away crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. In verse 26, ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. If you underline in your Bible, I've underlined several words, and in verse 20, it's my words. 21, within your heart. 22, are life and healing. And 23, keep your heart. 24, put away crooked speech. And 25, let your eyes be straight before you. And all of 26, ponder the path of your feet. So it looks like this when you read just the underlines of the words, not taking away from Scripture, but bringing clarities. My words are within your heart, for they are life and healing. Keep your heart. Put away crooked speech. Let your eyes be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. He's talking about the heart, the heart that God wants to bring into clarity, clarity to not only ourselves, but to our prodigals as well. In the first part of Ephesians, which we'll go through a little bit later in the message, verse 1 and 18, I like it out of the NSAB. It says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Another word for enlightened, a synonym, opened. You could say it, I pray the eyes of your heart may be opened. We sang the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, and very appropriate. We need our eyes opened, but most of all, we need our prodigal's eyes opened, right? We need them to see what they're doing, what's going on in their life, what the choices they're making. We can't do that. Sometimes we're shut out. I pray for several of my family members, and I know because I've either been too strong or I'm too close, that I will, won't be the one to ever reach them. It'll be somebody else. And I pray that God opens the eyes of their heart that they might find and know Jesus. The heart has eyes. And when Paul speaks of your heart, he's not referring to the organ that's in our chest that pumps blood, but he's referring to the heart, to what we might call the real you. It's the place inside where decisions of life are made. The heart is the place where you decide what values you will live by, what direction you will go, and how you will give your life, live your life each day. Every important decision you make starts from your heart, and your heart has eyes that can be opened or closed. 
When the eyes are closed to the light of God, you stumble blindly through life. We make dumb choices one after the another. We fall into sinful patterns. We break God's law. We end up weaving back and forth on the road of life. You might make some mistakes over and over again and enter one dead-end relationship after another. Why? Because the eyes of your heart are shut and you lack moral vision. That's our prodigal. The right light of God is shut out of your life. That means you can see and be blind at the same time. That is, you have 20-20 vision with your physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart can be blind to the light of God. There are lots of people that in the world, physically they can see, but spiritually are totally blind. That can describe many young people raised in the church. They know God, but their eyes are so filled with the things of the world that they're blind to the truth. A young man raised in a Christian home, going to church for years, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, children's ministry, youth group, goes off to college, and at last, he's on his own. He meets a girl. They start dating. Soon they're doing things they shouldn't do. When his parents hear about it, they're furious, worried, upset, and wonder what to do. They argue, plead, persuade, threaten, quote scripture, no avail. What's the problem? It's precisely that the eyes of the heart are closed to the truth of God. And until those eyes are opened, all the yelling in the world won't make a bit of difference. They get drunk on the weekends if they cheat, cut corners, if they are rebellious and unmotivated. Those things are only symptoms of a deeper, more fundamental issue. And the question bears asking, have they ever made that personal commitment to Christ? And I tell you this with total certainty, that once Christ gets a hold of a person, their life changes. The things that they were doing, they don't want to do anymore. You just don't do it. Your focus, your life, it changes. That's the crux of our prayers for our prodigal. To open the eyes of their heart and to let God's truth come flooding in. They will never look at anything the same way again. Sometimes we worry so much about the symptoms that we're dealing with, with the root issues of life, when we should be praying, open the eyes of their heart, Lord, because when that happens, life is radically changed. They will say, you lead me, Lord. I'm ready to do whatever you say. But opening blind eyes is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. He and he alone can do it. We see this principle clearly when we witness to those who don't know Christ. After sharing the gospel with them as best we can, sometimes they'll say, I just don't see it. That's not an excuse. They truly don't see it. That's why we can talk to the lost person until we're blue in the face, and it doesn't do any good. You can quote Billy Graham, Josh McDowell, and if you're creative, throw in some John Calvin and Martin Luther. Quote Abraham Lincoln. Quote Mike Ditka. If you like, it won't do any good. You can quote Scripture all day long, and the lost will still be the lost until their eyes are opened. They will see then the truth about Christ. Well, what's the answer then? 
We pray for the lost that God will open their eyes. We give sight in the place of blindness. We enable them to hear. We create within them desire to understand, give them a hunger for Jesus, and grant them faith to believe. In short, we prepare to share Christ with others. We must fervently pray. Pray that God will go before us. And when we pray for our prodigals, we're saying, God, you go first. If you don't go first, all my efforts are in vain. That's why we pray for our children, our grandchildren, our family, members and our friends and loved ones who today seem far from God. As our children grow older, we discover over and over again how little control that we actually have over them. We can't compel them to be obedient because we cannot compel their hearts. But we can pray. We can cry out to God and say, Oh Lord, open the eyes of their heart. Help them to see the light of truth. If you have a prodigal daughter, pray like this, Lord, open the eyes of her heart that she may see Jesus. Prayer is so simple, and yet it's so profound. Apart from God's grace, we all have the same problem. Our hearts are closed, and we cannot see the truth. Only God can open the eyes of the heart. And when God opens those eyes, she will see the truth, and the light of heaven will come flooding in. Don't focus on your actions. Focus on the prayers on God and His power to change a heart. Ask the Father to do what only He can do. Open the eyes of her heart so that she will come to know Him. There's a story of a mother's tears. It's a story about the power of prayer to reclaim a prodigal. It's a story that's over 1,600 years old. And it begins with a woman named Monica. And forgive me if I read the story, but um, it's hard for me to memorize some things anymore. But uh, with a woman named Monica who was raised in a Christian parents in North Africa. When she was old enough, her parents arranged a marriage to a pagan man. Eventually, the marriage was very difficult because of divided spiritual loyalties. Monica and her husband had three children. Two of them followed Christ, but one left the faith of his childhood. By his own admission, he chose the path of worldly pleasure. For many years, he lived with a mistress, and together they gave birth to a son out of wedlock. He broke his mother's heart by joining a religious cult. Monica prayed 17 years that her son would return to Christ and the church. Looking back, her son said that she watered the earth with her tears for him. She fasted and prayed, asked God to save her son. One day she went to the bishop and asked with tears why her son was still living in sin. And the bishop replied with words that have become famous, it is not possible that the son of so many tears should perish. Your son should be saved. And he was right. It took several more years of fervent praying, but eventually Monica's son came to Christ. His name is Augustine. We know him today as St. Augustine. He's universally regarded as one of the greatest thinkers in Christian history. He makes it clear in his confessions that his mother prayed him to Jesus. Mothers, pray your children to Jesus. She would not give up. And eventually, God answered her prayers. His works are still printed today. 
you can still see his books. Number one, the problem is always on the inside where God can get at it. Number two, God alone knows our prodigal's heart. Our heart needs opened. And number three, and lastly, God is not silent in our pain. Gold, diamonds, even silver may have value, but I believe there is no substance on earth more valuable than the tears of a godly mother. There are mothers and grandmothers who have prayed their children, their grandchildren to Christ. There are mothers and grandmothers who have seen their children in a far country of sin and have prayed them step by step back to the Father's house. And when everyone else gave up, godly women laid hold of heaven and claimed their offspring in Jesus' name. And God heard those prayers and answered them. I tell my son often that his mother prayed for him when he was just a little guy. And his grandmother prayed for him when he was just a little guy. And I don't have anything theological to back this up, but I believe that God takes those prayers and he puts them in a sack or he puts them in a jar to the day when he chooses of his own choice to bring forth those prayers and answers. I believe today that my son lives the life he's living directly because of a godly mother, a godly grandmother who prayed for him, who believed God, who prayed at a very young age for his spouse. Moms and dads, are you praying for your children's spouses? Are you praying that God leads them to the perfect man, to the perfect wife, to the perfect person that he has chosen? I encourage you to do so. But please don't understand. I don't believe that our prayers contain any merit in and of themselves. But God has ordained both the means and the ends of salvation. And the two chief means of salvation are fervent prayer and the proclamation of his word. We pray because everything depends on God. We preach because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Amen? Your prayers are part of heaven's plan to reach out to the prodigals in your life and to bring them back to God. If you are heavily burdened for a loved one, you may be sure that that burden does not simply come from yourself. The burden is a gift from God, a token of his mercy towards the prodigal who at this moment cares nothing for the Lord. Your prayers are a vital link in the chain of God's purposes. Don't miss this. Let me make this theological point very clearly. Salvation is of the Lord. That doesn't mean that our prayers don't matter. Our prayers are part of God's plan to bring the lost to Christ. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking of nothing. When we pray these kinds of prayers about our prodigals, replace the names in the scriptures with their names. And we'll see that later on in the message. We grow through the trials. I didn't understand that. 
the joy of trials that James speaks of quite like I do today, especially after the few last years in my life. It is important to become mature in our faith and during the heartbreak, during the disappointment in different situations, trust that God is working to keep in the heart of your prodigal. And even though the outside doesn't often look that way, keep believing that someday his eyes will be opened and that God will remove his heart of stone and will give him a heart of flesh. And renewing his heart and his mind with a great testimony will be a, that testimony to God who he is. God often uses prodigals in our lives to bring us closer to him. As long as we try to control our loved ones, even through anger or through our tears or by arguing with them or complaining about them to others, as long as we focus on them, they will not change. Neither will we. Sometimes in our despair, we become prodigals ourselves because we're so angry at them that it can ruin our walk with the Lord. Be diligent. As we pray for our prodigals, we must remember that the first change needs to happen in us. Until we are changed, until our anger is turned to love, we can become bitter, hardened. And that can happen even though we go to church every Sunday. We pray the prayers. We sing the songs. We serve the Lord. We do all the outward things that life asks us to do. At that point, we ourselves have become prodigals just as surely as the loved one whom we're praying for. The change we seek in others must start in our heart first. No matter how much we love our children, we must realize that God loves them even more. It's a hard concept. It's a very hard concept. No matter how much we want the best for them, He wants it even more than we do. And he truly knows what's best. Not only that, he can see where they, where they are to where he wants them to be. And no matter where the starting point is, he knows how to lead them from here to there. If he does it perfectly with an abundance, he does it perfectly with an abundance of wisdom, a generous helping of tender mercy, and he wastes nothing along the way. Sometimes as parents, we look at our children, especially if they seem far away from the Lord, and we feel hopeless, guilty, angry, frustrated. We seem to have rejected all that they, the prodigal, have been taught. And we must come to the realization that God is a better parent than we are. And that's really, really good news. For those times especially, especially when we've blown it. Because he loves our children more than we do. And he will lead them even when we don't know and even when they don't know they're being led. He can bring them back to himself through the road back maybe long hard, tortuous, though it may seem to go in circles and at times even go backwards. At some point, we must relinquish our children into the hands of God and say, Lord, they belong to you. Always have. Always will. They were never ours to start with. And it is so hard. It is so hard to yield them to the Lord 
but it is made easier if we remember that his love never fails, that he knows what he's doing. Do you have a loved one who's far from the Lord? Does it seem totally impossible that he or she will ever change? Do you get angry thinking about their foolish choices? Do your prayers seem useless? Pay no attention to your feelings. There's more going on in the heart of your loved one than you can possibly know. Remember the story of St. Augustine. His mother prayed for over 17 years, fervently praying, asking, believing, hoping. Don't give up. Keep on praying. Keep believing. Because you never know what God will do. Ephesians 1.18, I promised we would get back to that. The full verse says, and I like the NSAB, it says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What's another word for enlightened? Opened. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, inheritance in the saints? Don't we want to pray that for our prodigals? Isn't the end result that someday, that first day in heaven, that they run to Jesus with open arms? That's our prayer. God, open the eyes of their hearts. When you pray for a loved one who seems hardened against the Lord, pray that, that their eyes of their heart may be open so that the light of God can come flooding in. And if that seems hopeless, at least it puts the hopeless case at God's doorstep, which is where it belongs. I'd ask Dusty of the worship team to come as we get ready to close. And you may be here today or maybe you're sitting at home. You've been running from God possibly your whole life. Isn't it time to stop running? You keep telling yourself someday, someday when I'm ready. Well, when is it going to be ready? God has not promised us tomorrow. We may pray in the mornings, thank you, God, for this day. God doesn't promise us today. God doesn't promise us the next five minutes. Remember what I said earlier. Keep believing when all hope is lost. Jesus loves the people we're praying for, and he will lead them even if they don't know they're being led, and he can bring them back. I was going to have this on the screen, and I apologize, I forgot. It's Ephesians 17 through 19, and I know the guys are up here ready to go, and I'm not, so that's all right. Ephesians 1 through 17 reads, and I'm going to replace the you's and the yours and the us and the they's. And since I don't know your prodigal's name, I'm going to use my name. Pray this. God loves it when his word is prayed back to him. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give Ron the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of Ron opened, your hearts enlightened, that Ron may know the hope, what is in the hope to which he has called Ron. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward Ron who believes and according to the working of his great might? Pray that for your prodigal. Replace my name with the person's name. And if it's several names, that's okay. My hope and prayer is that you've written down the scriptures today and that you will pray them over your prodigal. That's why they're at the end of your bulletin. And the handout. When you pray for loved ones who seem hardened against the Lord, pray that the eyes of their heart might be open so that the light of God can come flooding in. And remember, when everything seems hopeless, that's when God can move. Let's take a few minutes and, and pray, and then we'll close. And... Father, we just are grateful for your presence, for your strength. And Father, I pray for each of us who have prodigals in this room or we're watching on Facebook. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would open the eyes of their heart, that they would know Jesus that their hearts would be softened toward the things of God. And that, Father, that heart would become soft and pliable, teachable, trainable. And in doing so, Father, our prodigals would be open to your word, open to your love. And through your grace and through your mercy, Lord, they would come back to you. And in doing so, Lord, it would give you great honor, great glory. We pray, Lord, that as we go, that, Lord, we remember that you love us, you love our prodigals, and you desire the best for them, Lord. And in reality, they belong to you. And, Father, we give them to you in hope, in faith, in trust that, Lord, you're working on their behalf. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand.